Welcome to another episode of The Breakdown. One of the things that's important about this show is that while we spend a lot of time talking about politics and the political climate, one of the other things that we've tried to do since day one is bring attention to issues uh, and things that might otherwise not get as much attention as we in our completely biased perspective believe that they should. We're going to try to return to that a little bit more over the, the coming weeks and months, and we're going to start with today. Today, we are going to be speaking with Julian Fletcher, who's the program coordinator for the Tourette OCD Alberta Network. I hope I got that all right. Julian, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Very welcome. Very, very pleased to be here, and thank you for the invitation. Excellent. So before we get into the, the work that the, the Tourette OCD Alberta Network's doing, would you be so kind as to tell us a, a little bit about yourself, uh, your background, how you got involved with the the organization? I think that may, might maybe be some some Tennessee I'm hearing in, in your voice there. Absolutely. South, Southern Tennessee accent. <laughs> you got it. Everyone picks <laughs> up on that. <laughs> I don't want to brag, but uh, I got an ear for these things. <laughs> okay. Obviously, you can hear that I, I am English. I'm from the United Kingdom. Um um, yep, I'm the program coordinator of the Tour OCD Alberta Network. Um, my background is education. I've been a teacher or involved in education for most of the last 30 years. Um, and I was a high school teacher of English literature, um, not in Canada, but in my native England. Um, also, I taught in Australia. I've spent 10 years living in Italy, where I also uh, taught English and uh, a little bit of time in Greece. So I kind of traveled around a little bit. Um, now, I, I was, um, I've always been deeply interested in Tourette syndrome and OCD in as to how they impacted students in my classroom. Um, and uh, I was interested in the fact that there were lots that I didn't know and I could understand things were going on. And um, that, that many years later led me to a conversation with someone who asked me to um, set up or be part of the setup of an organization here when I came to Canada with my, my family around about four or five years ago to begin to think about this organization and, and to become the front of it, the program coordinator. So I was asked to, to, to coordinate this organization um, because I did have an educational background. Um, and what we primarily do is raise awareness and understanding of tick disorders, Tourette syndrome, we'll say a little bit more about that, no doubt later, um, OCD and comorbidities, those um, conditions and disorders that are associated with them. Um, so part of that is that, um, you know, I do outreach in schools uh, or an outreach to anyone who will actually um, respond and listen to the message that will enable us to find those avenues to to raise awareness. Um, and that's how I, I, I came to be part of this organization. Um, and uh, that's that's the kind of uh, field we're in now. And we're we're, we're trying to. Uh, um, broaden our reach and broaden our, our audience uh, because it really is uh, an unknown area of um, of the neurodevelopment of, of young children. So let's start with some some definitions. I just want to be really clear for for our audience as well. Um, you're the program coordinator. You're an educator, um, and that's the, the 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 viewpoint that you're going to be speaking from today. Correct. 
Yes, absolutely. I, I make it clear when I have these conversations, I'm interviewed in such a manner that I'm not a clinician. Uh, my knowledge about Tourette's and OCD is not clinical knowledge. I, I, I'm, you know, I, I don't have a medical degree, um, but then, um, you know, that's um, that's not my remit. So I speak from an educator, and I speak from the point of view of someone of someone who tries to educate, tries to provide psychoeducation um, to families and, and teachers. So, um, you know, my my. My understanding is not a medical one. I'm not a clinician. I think it's really important to underline that. Would it be fair to say, like, in the same sense that uh, a biology teacher at a high school isn't a biologist or a uh, math teacher isn't necessarily a mathematician, that's kind of the type of conversation that we're going to have today? Kind of, yeah. I mean, be more pointed about in the sense that I do, someone will ask me um, perhaps a question about medication. Um, what's the most efficacious medication? You know, I can read that from a screen, but I don't understand that in terms of how it affects the body. So it's just an area I don't go to. And generally, I don't need to. I do speak about medications in a very general sense. Um, but yeah, there, there just are um, just clear areas that I can't and wouldn't go into. Perfect. All right. So let's start with, let's get into it. What is the, what is Tourette's? Okay. So Tourette's syndrome is a tick disorder and um, a tick disorder is when someone has ticks. Now a tick is a sudden and repeated vocal movement. Um, and that's exactly what it is. Now, one of the problems with um, defining that is that lots of the general public has an understanding of what Tourette's syndrome is. And, um, you know, tic disorders themselves are that and, and much wider than that. So um, a tic can be a motor tic or a vocal tic, um, and it can be simple and it can be complex. So a, a motor tic, uh, could be in its simple form, could be um, a facial grimace, it could be a movement of the mouth, it could be eye movement, it could be a neck jerk. Um, they're what's termed as sort of um, simple motor tics. And then um, as tics advance, they can become quite complex and they can affect um, more than just one muscle group. Um, so, so that we might get complex arm movements, complex body movements, and they look much more purposeful. But in essence, uh, motor tics are movements of the body which are sudden and repeated. And um, that's no different in terms of vocal tics. Vocal tics, um, so any sound that you make can become a tic. Sometimes they become quite loud, but again, some are quite simple, perhaps like a throat clearing um, and perhaps a, a kind of gurgling. Um, uh, any sound that the body can make can become a tick. So they can become quite complex as well. So they can become uh, like complex phrases, complex words. Um, and, um, and again, they're sudden and they're repeated. And um, certainly with the uh, vocal tics, they seem more purposeful. Uh, they seem to have more meaning because they're they're words that we can actually understand. But in essence, they are tics, and they are as purposeless and meaningless as 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 um, motor tics too. So I just want to I, I want to touch on something that I think you might have alluded to the the public perception, and certainly we've seen this in in movies and television shows and cartoons and 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 of Tourette's is that it is a propensity to yell profanity. Um, and, and to my understanding from based on what you just said there, that is a potential manifestation of Tourette's, but it's not the only manifestation. Am I getting that right? 
No, absolutely. So that's called coprolalia, but that or the swearing tick as it's known, that only affects 10% of people who have Tourette syndrome. Okay. Now, just let me clarify what Tourette syndrome is before I carry on there. So Tourette syndrome, to have the diagnosis of Tourette syndrome, a, a patient, a person um, uh, should have um, uh, two motor ticks and one vocal tick for longer than uh, one year. At that point, they were diagnosed with Tourette syndrome. Okay, so um, it's very rare that one of those motor, tic, motor uh, sorry, vocal tics is actually coprolalia or the swearing tic. As I said, it affects less than 10% and it's as low as 7% in children. But that is the public perception that people shout and scream and um, blurt out obscenities. It does happen, but it's actually, it's actually quite rare. Do you think that that public perception of, of that being the presentation of Tourette's is harmful? Um, I think it's harmful. It's certainly harmful to the, the person that has that tick, because in essence, it is no different to any other tick. Um, therefore, people's uh, response to it is perhaps alarmist. Um, and that's why our organization exists. Our organization exists to ultimately um, um, convey the idea that ticks should be uh, ignored, no matter what tick they are. And it, it's difficult to ignore uh, an obscenity. Um, you know, a profanity, depending on the context as well. In most contexts, it, it can be insulting. But part of my job is to raise awareness that we have to ignore it, that it's meaningless. And once we understand that, it is possible to lessen the impact of that kind of language um, in any given situation. But again, it's, it, it's about education, it's about understanding. And that goes right across the board, whether it be in the classroom, um, or in outside or wherever we wherever people with ticks, you know, many people are, are going about living their lives, but it can certainly be a hindrance, of course. Okay. I just wanna also sort of touch on an, another piece there before we go on to talk about uh, the, the OCD piece. How much control, like, is it a spectrum? How much control people have over these ticks from like, if they really, really try hard, they might be able to, to mask them to some degree, or is there like to all the way to, there's no control whatsoever. Does it vary from person to person? It, it, it can vary, of course, yeah, it does vary from person to person. And it's also much more difficult for children. Um, and they can be taught to manage, um, when I say they, I mean, people who are affected by Tourette syndrome can be taught to manage their tics with cognitive behavior therapy. Um, but it's quite difficult, obviously, when you're, when you're a young child, um, because, I mean, in that sense, um, um, management requires um, a kind of cognizance of what we call the premonitory urge. Um, before someone ticks, they generally get um, um, a sensation in their body. It might be a, uh, a tension. It might be an itch. It just might be a discomfort. And that's involuntary. They know that they're, that they're going to tick. But the actual response to that is, is, is voluntary. That's why so the, the, you know, the tick, that's why ticks are often called semi-voluntary. Um, so um, part of that control in, in cognitive behavioral therapy is, is about understanding the being aware of when they have that um, tension in the body and then resisting that. It's called habit reversal therapy. And over time, that, that time between feeling that urge and actually doing the tick can be prolonged. So that's a kind of management strategy. 
Um, but in certain situations like the schoolroom, it's quite common for uh, young people, students to suppress their tics. Suppression is possible, but um, it takes a gargantuan effort. So if you're a child in a classroom, you're concentrating what the what your teacher is um, disseminating and teaching, and you're just concerned about your tick and you are managing to suppress it. You know, it, the upshot is a child who's uneasy, who's uh, distracted. Um, so it, it isn't it's not um, not an easy task at all. And it means that that child then goes home and goes out of the classroom and will often um, you know, have a heightened or increased tick severity because of that suppression. So it is possible, but um, it can be difficult depending on, on the scenario. It kind of sounds like what you're saying is like saying to a kid who's who's trying to uh, manage or navigate. I'm not sure what the right terminology is here. Uh, a tick disorder like Tourette's saying to them, just stop it might be equatable to saying to them, I'd like you to push this car down the street with enough effort. They can probably do it, but it's going to take up all of their focus and energy. Is that a fair metaphor? Absolutely. It's a, an interesting metaphor. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's that's that that is what I would say. And that's the nub of the gist. When I go one one of the things I do is that I, I go into schools and I do outreach. Uh, um, I do an in-service presentation. I, I was doing it earlier this week. And implicit and in, explicit in what I'm presenting is we need to ignore ticks, we need to tolerate them. So if you are again in a classroom, and I use that example a lot because obviously that's where young people students you know find themselves a lot of the time and where issues arise um and if a teacher says um benignly can you stop that you may as well say can you tick more because you just create stresses and anxiety levels raise and they will stress they will tick even more tick severity and frequency will no doubt uh, increase so that's what we need to do in society wherever we are we have to learn to tolerate ticks and ignore them and certainly in classrooms that's my message uh, to to teachers and many of them do understand that but you know it's difficult in a classroom scenario when you do have other other comorbidities like perhaps just disruptive behavior etc okay let's talk about those comorbidities for a sec so you know when a lot of people hear comorbidities thanks to COVID, they assume that we're talking about other things that are going to kill a person. That's not what it means, though. No, it's not. No, absolutely not. No, it's, it's an associated condition or disorder that comes along with, with tics or Tourette syndrome. So the most common um, comorbidity with tics is actually ADHD and, and uh, OCD. So 50% of young people that we see at the Tourette syndrome clinic, and that's where I spend a lot of my time, at least once a week, will have ADHD. Um, and of course, that's not going to kill them at all. But it, often the ADHD and, and, and the symptoms of it, are like uh, impulsivity, the inability to concentrate and be attentive, is more uh, impairing and bothersome than the actual tic or tics. Um, so it is often the comorbidity uh, has greater impact on their lives. But no, we, we shouldn't let um, the language um, scare us at all. It's just an associated condition with the tick disorder. So you say that common comorbidities are ADHD and OCD. It's included in the name of your organization. So I feel like we have to talk about it. There's a lot of misconceptions about it as well. So what is OCD? Okay, so OCD as it says, um, obsessive compulsive disorder. And there are two elements to it, two components. One is obsessions and one is compulsions. And 
someone who has o OCD has the disorder will often have um, um, overwhelming urges and images and thoughts in their mind and they're repeated and they're uncontrollable and it's not anything that they can do much about um, they're conscious of it um, but it's something that will be highly distracting for them and will worry them quite a lot but they are conscious that these thoughts are actually irrational um, now the um, compulsive part of it are the rituals that they do to neutralize the anxiety caused by the obsessions okay um so i'll give you an example um, um let me say that someone may have um uh, an obsession with perhaps their their house is going to uh, catch on fire and uh if they and, and it's going to kill their, their parents or their mum. So what they might do, they might engage in a ritual, say perhaps flicking a light switch or putting their blocks in a certain order uh, so that they can counteract that, um, that, um, that, that thought, that, um, that outcome. So there's a clear relationship between the obsessions and, and the compulsions. Um, and the compulsions, as I said, are, are, are rituals which neutralize those, the anxiety, the overwhelming thoughts that they're having. But it's, it's like it only does it temporarily. So they have that neutralization um, and then they have these thoughts again and they go back to the thing that helped them overcome it, which was the, um, the compulsion, the ritual. And it, they, can, they can't come out of that easily. And again, the only way to do that, and I'm speaking very generally about OCD, just for the purposes of what we're doing today. Um, the only way to, um, to come to terms with that in a, in a realistic process is through uh, something like, again, uh, CBT uh, and, and medications. Okay. So now I want to just be sort of clear as well. I'm sure that there's uh, a specific set of diagnostic criteria for determining that somebody has OCD, much like you talked about with uh, they have to have two physical ticks, one verbal tick. Um, the, there is, a, again, a public perception that OCD is the I have to flick the light switch five times before I leave the house kind of thing. Does it exist on a spectrum in two parts? Does it exist on a spectrum as well? And what does the diagnostic criteria look like if you if you're able to speak to that at all? Yeah, I mean, I'll speak about it in terms that I think are practical and we'll all understand, because to an extent, we all have um, obsessive compulsive symptoms. I do. I check my door every night before going to bed and then um, I'll come back downstairs to get a drink of water and I'll check it again and I'll check that the gas is off. Um, and then when I come home from work, I wash my hands maybe twice. Um, but it ends there. It dissipates. It goes away. I don't think about it again. Someone with... Uh, um, who has those symptoms and more than that would do that repeatedly. So, for example, um, and I'm getting to answer your question, we will get young people in the clinic who will, during the, you know, the COVID pandemic, we had to wash our hands repeatedly for 20 minutes, sorry, 20 times, which was great. But they, 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 young people would do this for hours on end, literally hours on end. And it's when OCD gets in the way um, that it becomes uh, a medical problem that we need to, we need to seek um, we need to seek advice from a doctor so it's and and i've heard ocd clinicians talk about getting in the way when it's truly bothersome and sometimes they measure it by i've heard say uh when more than an hour a day is invested in a ritual and i've met young people who have who would 
do their ritual for for four hours, three hours. It's not unheard of, what, whatever that uh, ritual is, whether it's ordering, symmetry, checking. Um, again, relating it to the classroom, some young people with um, OCD uh, have an issue with uh, certain numbers they, they feel um, uncomfortable with them say often three or, or seven and they will need to walk in the classroom three times until they they, they, they feel better um, um, so yeah it, it's just measuring how impactful and bothersome the symptoms are in someone's life before they become a disorder that's why uh, and you hear a lot of it in, in, in recently in public discourse that people get upset of oh I'm a bit OCD um, which is, I think it's been a bit pedantic, but I understand it because it's not a disorder. We all have those symptoms to an extent, but we, we go about our daily lives, they dissipate, we forget about it. In people with OCD, that is certainly not the case. A child in the classroom may be worrying about the order of their toys at home um, when they're not at home and then thinking, God, you know, some disaster will happen, uh, something will befall my family if they're out of order. So that's clearly a disorder. Yeah, maybe people should just say I'm a bit OC, but then that would probably just lead to everybody referencing bad 90s shows. Uh, so maybe not. Um, I guess the two other big areas that I wanted to, to touch on with you today are, you know, we're, we're talking about kids a lot. I presume, and I'm hoping that you can clarify this for me, this is something that tends to appear more in kids, teenagers, then manifesting suddenly in adults, both uh, tic disorders, Tourette's and OCD? Um, I couldn't answer to the fact how, the, um, if it's more, if it occurs more in adults, it does occur in adults because I, one thing I do, as I said once, I do go, I, I, I'm, I take part in the Tourette syndrome clinic as in my role as program coordinator. And I speak to parents um, on a weekly basis. But we do also have an adult clinic. So indirectly, I I, um, I know what goes on there. And there are adults who do get tics, uh, tic disorders in, in, in later life. Um, but um, the difference in terms of prevalence rates, I wouldn't know. But in terms of children, it, it is actually one in a hundred, which makes it quite a common disorder. So let's talk about the, the kids and the parents piece. For a parent who is wondering, not sure, um, or uh, a kid who maybe has some concerns about tic disorders or Tourette's, what are the things that you want them to, to hear? Hmm. Uh, do, do, you, do you mean before I see them or they're, they're at home and they've got... Well, I'm at home and I'm watching my kid and they're doing this stuff and I don't really understand it. What should I, what, what should I be doing? What do the pathways look like? like it's, it's, for parents, these sorts of things can be profoundly intimidating. And for a parent who's starting to go, is this a thing or not how should they pursue that, I guess, is my question. Well, yeah, the different ways of looking at that, because the, the first uh, port of call is kind of psychoeducation is education. There's a lot of information out there, but it is disparate. It is um, atomized and fragmented. So that, that that's quite difficult. Parents, it is overwhelming and intimidating. Parents have to negotiate that as well. But should a parent have those questions, um, and they don't know about us, um, is that they should go to their um uh their, their family practitioner their family doctor and speak with them um because and, and that's another issue sometimes not everyone knows that 
there is a Tourette's clinic in Calgary. Um, and that's one of the reasons why our organization exists. But they can get a referral through their family doctor to, to either a psychiatrist who's, uh, who's um, um, working professionally uh, uh, where they live, or they, if they're in Alberta, they can get a referral through their family doctor to to uh, our clinic. Of course, um, you know the, the the doctor will not confirm or, or will have an idea whether they have ticks or not, and then on that basis make that referral. But sometimes, you know, parents will find us online and they'll write to me and they'll say, "Well, you know, I've spoken to my doctor and they didn't give me that pathway. That pathway was not available to me. What should I do?" And then I'll give them a referral fax number and say, "This is the clinic. Um, this is the fax number. Please speak to your 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 doctor and make that referral." Um, but there are kind of two points to that: is one about you know finding uh, information, but again, it has to be kind of evidence based information. That's obviously difficult for all for all parents. And the other part is uh, getting the referral, um, getting um, you know, a response from uh, a doctor. Is there, do you see, anecdotally, of course, but do you see parents concerned about stigma? I mean, again, going back to the beginning of our conversation, we talked about how the public perception of Tourette's is the the profanity and all of that. And as have you, as you've said, it's a very low incidence of that actually inside of the, the, the presentation of Tourette's. Do you see parents who are, are, concerned about you know does this mean my kid is somehow less and and what would you say to a parent that's potentially worried about something like that um i don't see it in stark terms like that i do see worried parents and of course they're worried about the stigma and i have to say generally when i pose those questions about uh the sort of social difficulties they may be having um uh, educational difficulties they're having friends at school i think generally they are positive um but there are quite a lot that are not having um uh, are having a difficult uncomfortable time at school and with their social groups um and of course the the, the genesis of that that's predicated on you know that worry that um that you know this is stigmatizing and uh, how can we normalize this that I, I think that's at the heart of what parents are um expressing when they speak to me but obviously they don't uh, express it in those terms because often i i meet them at the beginning of the diagnosis and they'll have some experience of what it's like in school and i can speak to that experience if it has been negative but part of what i do is telling them about psychoeducation because it's fundamental to family well-being you know informing yourself as to what ticks are uh, what the natural history will be um what will be the um impact on social and academic functioning you know that that that's absolutely fundamental to ultimately reducing those stresses at home and in school um so i think that's a, that your question you know that is a a concern with with most parents you know it, it wouldn't be but i'm you know I, i'm trying to um reduce that that concern but of course it is a, a pervasive uh, worry i mean we've talked a lot today about educators and the the role of your organization you, you said this earlier as you go into schools you educate people for any of the the teachers that are listening to this episode or watching this episode what are the big points that you want teachers to hear the first one is um in general, in the general sense is if you know someone has ticks don't speak to them um don't you know about them. I, I assume you don't mean shun them no 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 <laughs> of course not at all um um don't don't shun them at all but shun their ticks um okay. and um yeah i mean it's 
I, you know, I've been a teacher. It's, I, I found it the uh, uh, most uplifting uh, job that anyone could ever have. I enjoyed it much, but it was very stressful. My day was very busy. Um, and, you know, someone like me comes along and says, well, you listen to me for an hour. And I know that's quite, I know that's quite difficult in, in, a, in a teaching calendar. I, I get that. But that's what I'm always endeavouring to do. And I, it is quite difficult. But um, I just want teachers to just kind of um, be aware of what ticks are and the impact that they and the comor comorbidities associated with them can have on the child in the classroom. And sometimes it's just that awareness. It's just that kind of um, alleviating that kind of misunderstanding that can make a difference to the child in the classroom. Because one of the things, if I can just speak to it for a moment, one of the things that I do in the presentation is an empathy exercise. I did it twice this week. And I, I, I get so much enjoyment out of doing it because I don't have to um, I don't have to sort of disseminate information. I, I, um, I, we do an activity where I get my audience and I do this with students as well. But this week I did it with teachers. And, and when I speak to them, I do. I get them to copy down a poem, but I give them um, a tick symptom. I give them where they where where as they're copying down the poem, when I clap, they have to raise their their hand in the air. And then I give them OCD, an OCD symptom. They have a, um, a discomfort with with the number three and they have to cross out uh, every third word with three lines, then write it above. And then I give them ADHD. I buzz. Um, and when I buzz, they have to look upwards. And uh, we do that three separate occasions. They try to copy down the poem and, of course, it becomes quite difficult for them. But what is great about it is the upshot is just. I just asked them, I just said it open. I said, tell me what you feel, what, what happened, what was going through your mind? And they get right to the heart of what it's like to be a struggling student. And certainly teachers, they'll instantly say, you know, they'll say, I felt frustrated, I felt angry, and they actually feel it. Um, that's why it's an empathetic exercise. But they'll say, I just don't know why I was doing this exercise, because I couldn't complete it. I couldn't finish it. I had no idea what the purpose of my doing this was and that's i want um, teachers to feel what it's like to be a struggling child in the classroom and i think just with that piece of information you know i don't want to encumber them with lots of uh, you know additional strategies even though i do talk about them in a general sense but it's that awareness piece that's important of course the awareness of not uh, speaking to the ticks but certainly speaking to the child awesome um if people want to know more, if people want to know more about Tourette's, if they want to know more about OCD, if they want to know more about the Tourette OCD Alberta Network, where do they go? They come to me. They come to our website. Our organization is called the Tourette OCD Alberta Network. Um, put a CA, .ca on the end of that. That's our vanity URL, and you will find us uh, uh, immediately. And there is a wealth, a whole gamut of information on there um that i have discussed and spoken about today my contact details on there you can reach out to me and you know it is my job to, to to try and help you in any way i can as i said i'm not a clinician but i'm surrounded by clinicians um and i can help them i uh, sorry i can uh you know be the the, the go-between to get that information if i need and you know or i can find a resource or i can just as i often do i'll just have a chat with a parent who's worried and say look i'm in this situation my my child is doing this what does this mean and i, I can just have a chat with them and just put them at their ease and i and you know i, I like to respond as quickly as i can because it's really important to get a quick response um 
yeah, that, that's where, where I'm kind of sitting here waiting for. I, when I first started this job, I, I just thought, you know, I'd be kind of snowed under with doing school presentations. Of course, it's a little bit more difficult than that. Um, I know you talk about parents, but I also just want to say to teachers that are listening that if you feel that you could benefit from uh, my coming to your school, please do reach out to me. And, and if it takes two or three months to, to to arrange or we have to put it into a PD day at the end of the year or the beginning of next year, we can wait uh, and we can have an ongoing discussion or I can I can do whatever works for you. Just out of curiosity, uh, and I'm going to go on a bit of a tangent here. Have you have you ever had any conversations with the Alberta Teachers Association? Uh, I have actually. I met the I had a meeting with the president um, about three or four weeks ago, Jason Schilling, I believe. And um, that was great. But it was just getting to him. It's always getting to the right person, which is difficult. And I've subsequently found that other people that work in the, uh, the mental health field had these difficulties, too, because I thought maybe it was me, maybe, you know, with um, with my um, you know deep South American accent. I, I'm, I just don't understand what it's like uh, in this part of the world. But it, 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 it's not that. Um, it's it's just to do with the vagaries of the system. So speaking to Jason enabled me to do um, or to present at the Edmonton um, Teachers PD Day, which was online on Monday. And I did two presentations to a total of 50 teachers, which was great. Um, so I certainly have uh, pursued that, that that line of inquiry and it was very successful. And I have others going, but they're just kind of slow, slow burners. It just takes a little while. Is there a, is there an, a, a general email? So if, if there are any teachers, which I know there are, uh, listening or watching to this, uh, is there a general email that they can fire off to you so that they can get that process? My email, which is julian.fletcher at ucalgary.ca. We'll even put that on the screen. Please do. Yes. So you, you can write to me directly and that can be the, you know, the starting point for what, 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 whatever it needs to be in terms of how I can help you. Awesome. Open mic for you, sir. Anything else you want to say? Anything else you want people to hear before we wrap it up? Um, um, yeah, I suppose ultimately one thing I did miss out is what we're trying to do in terms of why we exist as an organization is that we are as an organization trying to um enable um families and patients that are affected by Tourette's syndrome and OCD to have treatment closer to home, closer to their communities. And we do a lot of professional, continuing professional development for uh, healthcare providers. And uh, we're incredibly successful at that. And we've, we've had over 500 um, uh, mental health therapists actually uh, sign up to our, our webinars. So that is ultimately our, our goal. It's we there's a specialty uh, clinic in Calgary and you know, Alberta is a huge province, but it has 4 million people. So there's a, there's a kind of um, service delivery gap. There's an unevenness. So that's part of what we're trying to do overall is to ensure that people don't have to come to, to Calgary, that there are trained uh, uh, therapists close to their community that from whom they can get treatment. Um, and um, yeah, that's, I, I probably said all of what, what, what I wanted to. Perfect. Well, I'm glad we glad you were able to say everything that you wanted to. I want to I want to thank you so much for taking the time to to chat today. I, I really do appreciate it. Um, and I, I hope that you're able to to get back to southern Tennessee uh, sometime. I hear the fall there is is delightful. And, and the whiskey. Don't forget the whiskey. Um, there you go. <laughs> thank you, Nate. Thank you for this opportunity. Uh, very much appreciated. Thank you. As 
always, if you appreciate the kind of content that we're trying to produce here at The Breakdown, we would love it if you swung by our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash thebreakdownab and signed up for a small monthly sponsorship of the work that we're trying to do here. It is because of the support that we receive from our Patreon sponsors that we're able to continually up our game, and it is tremendously appreciated. So I want to throw a big thank you out to them. And you can go ahead and visit that website and join and support us as well because we need all the help we can get. Thank you so much for your attention. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of these important conversations. And we will see you next time on The Breakdown.